Welcome back to the World on Drugs, everybody. I'm your host, Stephen Fury, and we got another banger for you. This week, we're doing the brief history of motorcycle gangs in America. Yeah. Um, quick thing on motorcycle gangs in America. A brief history of motorcycle gangs in America. Starting in the 1930s, it's just ways for mainly World War II veterans to come home and find a little spice in their life. By the 50s and 60s, they developed into criminal organization, and they have a blood-filled, soaked, drug-filled history in America. We go into a deep little dive into the Hells Angels, Bandidos, Outlaws, Pagans, and we give you a different perspective. This week, we have Matt Daddy Lockwood on. So if you enjoy biker gangs, because I know you do, I sure do, you're going to love this in this uh, little episode. So check it out. World on Drugs podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fury. Wherever you get podcasts or shows and on YouTube. So that's what the episode about. This week's guest is my guy, Matt Lockwood. Um, how did I meet Lockwood? I met Matt Lockwood. He is a stand-up comedian. I met him as a door guy at the comedy store. Um, we didn't really link up. We didn't link up that much in the beginning. He was more into the San Diego crew of like Derek Poston because he's from San Diego. Well, he's actually from the Midwest, but he is a San Diego comic. So he was kind of in the San Diego crew. We were all friends, but he had his own crew. It was uh, Jeffrey Burner, Derek Poston, Hassan Ahmad. Once those guys left during the pandemic, he uh, wasn't really hanging out with anybody. And once we started doing, uh, remember in the beginning of the pandemic when the government was giving everybody a shit ton of money and. We had a lot of expendable income because I was staying inside. So we started to do these Joshua Tree trips. Uh, it was me, my buddy Matt, uh, my buddy Morgan, Hormos, Fang Chow, um, a couple other friends. And then we really hit it off. And now I would say Matt's one of my best friends. He's a very co- funny comic. Um, still a door guy at the comedy store. If you want to go see him, you can probably see him on either Fridays or Saturdays in the belly room or opening one of the other shows. Um, there's a little bug right there. It's embarrassing, but he's one of my best friends, and I'm happy to have him on. He, uh, We go through this episode a little bit quicker. You know, the researcher is, we have a new researcher named, I believe, Michael Campbell. Michael Campbell has a couple degrees from different uh, colleges and stuff like that. He's very good, but um, this episode doesn't give the deep dive that we normally look. It kind of is more of a brief history on... Um, motorcycle gangs so we definitely get into some stuff get some interesting stuff that uh you might not know and i'm happy uh i'm happy we got a new guy in here i'm happy we got to have matt come in um it's a fun episode you know it's chill it's definitely a quick one so this one will bust through and it gives you an overview of all motorcycle gangs and kind of the brief history the how they start of how like they're just a small motorcycle group and then when uh when people come back from World War II and definitely uh, Vietnam, uh, shit really picks up. How was my week last week? Well, do I got some stuff for you. Um, first, I on Sunday night, I decided to go to one of my favorite little taco stands. Now, I've found this taco stand started fire because, okay, so I live in West Hollywood, so in L.A., there's taco stands everywhere, but West Hollywood has made sure these guys don't pop up. But something happened during the pandemic where people are allowing street vendors to serve food. I am not against street vending whatsoever. Huge fan of street vendors, whether it, whether it uh, weed or food. Now, this place was the first one to be in kind of West Hollywood, and what they were doing is they were doing what they did in South Central, where I used to live. They bring it up here. They had the trombo, the guy that's like the... Um, 
the guy that's like the spinning thing, like what shawarma comes in, but that's the Al Pastor. So they were doing that, and they had the horn ma- homemade tortillas. Your boy was hooked. I would go there all the time. But recently, they've gotten rid of the trombo, the spinning meat uh, spire of love that is the Al Pastor, and they've been doing it where they're kind of just opening a bag and frying up the food. Kind of looks like it might have been made earlier that day. Um, still never hated it because the tortillas are fresh, but, uh, boy, did it do a number on my body. Um, I ended up getting a stomach virus, uh, E. coli, and, uh, suffered for two days. I suffered all Monday night, then Tuesday night, and when I say suffered, it was, uh, pretty bad, man. Um, I was have I, I would, I, the pain, um was shocking and throbbing and then it would go away and uh, my girlfriend is a nurse started knowing when it wasn't going away just stayed for three days that uh, I should go to the hospital so the worst night was I believe Tuesday night um, where I was awake and uh, shivering all night long all night long to where like you know when you shiver so bad your fucking bones hurt dude so I was shivering my balls off. It was a complete nightmare. Wet. I, I soaked the whole bed for my sweat. Um, but I'm so cold that I have to. What I do is I take my normal blanket and I fill it with all my clothes. And I kind of hot dog it over and then get under just to try and get more layers. Wake up in the morning. Gets a little bit better. Don't eat. Still not eating. Still really fucking stomach hurts. And then my girlfriend comes over and she watches me for a little while and says, we got to go to the hospital. I don't like the hospital. Plus, this is on Wednesday, which was my first Bear City back, which is a show I run with my buddy Trevor Trevor Hill in uh, Long Beach. And it's a fucking sick-ass show. And it's our first one back. We had 150 tickets sold. I did not want to miss it. About an hour ahead, I was like, I can't go. I don't want to go there and just end up shitting my pants in traffic. So I stay, and then I have a store spot at 1130. So I'm like, I've never missed a store spot. You know, when we talked about two weeks ago when my friend was stabbed, I still went to my store spot after that. Started coming out the store spot, man, and I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't risk, like, being on stage and shitting my pants in front of everyone. And then everyone's like, hey, Steve Fury, who's that? Is he? Oh, the guy who shit his pants in front of everybody? Didn't want to risk that. So my girlfriend brought me to the ER. Um, took uh, two and a half hours to get inside. Got inside. They hooked me up to some uh, morphine. That was nice. I'll take two. And then um, gave me some antibiotics. Uh, I was very gaunt, um, very dehydrated, severely dehydrated. Oxygen levels were low. But uh, fixed that. Came out the next day. Felt pretty good since then. Took all the antibiotics. Took some of the muscle relaxers because my muscles were spazzing. And then um, Thursday, Friday, Friday, I have the first time I was booked by both the Hollywood Improv and the Comedy Store. If you've heard of an improv in your city, you know, like the Houston Improv and not improv like the dorks that do that kind of comedy, but the comedy clubs called the Improvs. So this is where they all come from, the Hollywood one. And I have done a bunch of Hollywood Improv sets, but never booked by them. It's like getting passed by them. So I was booked by the Hollywood Improv people for a 1030 spot. I show up a little early because they have pretty good food. Improvs always have good food, and you get free food if you're doing it. So I'm like, I arrive early, going to get a sandwich. Uh, When I get there, it turns out one guy wasn't there. So they go, hey, can you go up now? I go in there. This motherfucker was packed. Packed. 
So I get up there and I fucking body, bro. I destroy this room. Luckily, it's getting recorded. and So we're going to send that in. I'll talk about that in a second. So that works out. My set does well. I get off. Everyone's giving me the whole kind of things. Uh, I go down, eat my burger, hang out with a couple friends. Then I run over to the comedy store, do my late night spot there. Go home, feeling pretty good. So I needed to record a spot this week, and I had to be done this week. So when I had the Bear City show, I had to cancel, and the Comedy Store spot I had to cancel. I was getting very sad because Comedy Central is uh, doing some more. Um, they're doing some more shows, like stuff on TV and stuff on the internet. And they asked my manager to give them a clip as soon as possible. I did not have a clip that I felt appropriate, but I gave them that one that I bodied there. So fingers crossed for that, folks. Um, and then that was Friday. I wake up in the morning, um, and I'm going to San Diego to do a show with a friend of mine named Gareth Reynolds. If you know podcasting and if you enjoy this podcast, you would enjoy Gareth Reynolds podcast. He is the star of the dollop. Um, to say the dollop was in, uh, was important to the making of this podcast would be an understatement. He's been doing his podcast for like six, seven years. It gets millions of downloads. Very popular. It's pretty much like what we do here, except they do a deep dive in history of someone you never heard about, and it turns out the person's always pretty interesting. Whether why, whereas I stick with uh, just drug dealers and stuff like that, criminals, and also there are there are two person podcasts. Always a two person podcast. Always the same two people. Whereas I have a guest, so you know, I try to switch it up a little bit. I don't think it's exactly the same thing, but. Um, before I met Gareth, I was a huge fan. I listened to every episode of the podcast. If when you know someone, I find it in my now life that I've been able to meet a lot of these people. Once you know the people, it's a little bit weirder to listen to their podcast. You know, I mean, most of you probably know me, so it's not really that weird for you guys. But for me, it is. So I kind of pulled back from this podcast. But we're going down. Whew, I'm not even tired. I did have an edible last night. Man, I got these new edibles from my buddy JP. They uh, turf you. Edibles are great, you know. I mean, they they can be completely, completely terrible. But um, I don't know, man. If you find a good one, they're good. These ones are pretty good, but they make you groggy in the morning. I don't care what you got, what anyone says. So, wake up in the morning, Saturday, go down to San Diego to do a show with Gareth. Gareth is flying in. Gareth, uh, once you have an extremely successful podcast and your TV writing, you don't really have to live in LA. So he moved out. He's got a really sick uh place right now in Idaho but then he's moving to Ohio later so he flies in he was supposed to fly into LA and we were going to drive down but instead he flies in into San Diego and I drive down uh, the drive normally should take you about an hour and 45 minutes to two hours uh, it took me five hours five fucking hours to get to San Diego uh, loved every minute of it oh god any more minutes I could spend in traffic on the way to San Diego what Mark could you ask for it actually got so bad that I took like a 20-minute nap in between. I just pulled off in the fucking rest area and passed out. Get to the show. Now, this show is at a rich person's villa in La Mesa, San Diego. What is this place? Oh, it's, it's so fun, too, because these are like kind of like uh, <laughs> they're rich people, but they try to pretend. You know when rich people try to pretend that they're not rich? Like to like to like relate to you? So they did a lot of that, but these people had a fucking tennis court, and their house was three stories tall, and me and Gareth stayed in their side house, which was four times as big as my studio apartment. So 
Yeah. They definitely weren't. I don't know why they're trying to pretend. It's like, dude, you're pretending. It's like a clown being like, listen, I'm a normal person. It's like, dude, I can see fucking face makeup on you and a squinchy little nose. You're not normal. So we go there, do the show. The show has a um, taco cart, four kegs, open bar. They bought me a nice a, a bottle of uh, tequila. And then they set up the show on um, a tennis court. Now, normally when um, these kind of people, not these people, like rich people, but anyone... Uh, loves comedy and they want to set up a show. It's never good. It's normally dog shit because they don't know what they're doing. These guys did a really good job. They were really big comedy fans. And um, so what they did is they set up this place in their tennis court. Audience is dark. Two spotlights on you. They gave a stage. It's about two or three feet high. That's what you want. You don't want too high of a stage. You don't want to look down at people, but you want to be above their heads so everyone can see you. They got a DJ. He cuts the music quick enough. And then they made the stage. They put a little uh, brick backdrop. And, like, they made this whole thing just for this comedy show this one night. So very nice people, but very wealthy. It's very fun to check out, see how these people can live. Um, So then we do a comedy show there. It's a great time. Great group of people, great friends. Um, Sick-ass house. Then all the people leave, and then we start hanging out with the owners, which were really fun. They were a great time to hang out. Me and Gareth had a great time. Start drinking pretty heavy. Start doing shots. I start eating just bowls of carne asada, and I don't get sick. And it was a pretty fun time. Got the money, headed out of there. Got home the next day, recovered, recorded this podcast. Thank you guys for checking it out again. This one's a little bit quicker. Um, hope you guys enjoy it. What would I suggest? I would suggest Matt's podcast, Big Humble. You can also follow him on Instagram at Matt Daddy Lockwood. Also, check out The Dollop. It's a history podcast. Gareth Reynolds is literally one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. He's fucking so funny. Hanging out with him is just, I'm just weak the whole time. And pretty much he just riffs while his buddy reads out stuff. Um, it's great. Check it out. And if you want to do merch, my merch is officially available. That's right, everybody. I'm trying to put it on my website. But for now, you can get a T-shirt with the logo on it. It's a nice T-shirt, soft, any size you want. Just Venmo me at Stephen Fury at S-T-E-P-H-E-N dash F-U-R-E-Y. It's $20 for the T-shirt and $5.99 for shipping and handling. So send me 26 bucks with the size you want on your t-shirt and your address to my Venmo, and I will send it out as soon as I can. And I'm going to actually do it pretty soon. So if you guys want to do it, feel free to do it or come to my one of my shows. Um, not in L.A. I won't be selling shirts because those guys are losers that sell shirts after shows in L.A. But on the road, I will be selling them. So if you guys want them, once again, that's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Dash Fury, F-U-R-E-Y. On Venmo, or if you want, uh, just DM me. We could do something through there if you don't have venue Venmo. But be an adult, get Venmo. That's it's not that hard. It's what everyone's using. So, guys, enjoy the show. It is a brief history of motorcycle gangs in America with my buddy Matt Daddy Lockwood. Check it out. Enjoy. I love you guys. Bye bye. Hey, Matt. Thanks for coming in, Matt Lockwood. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, bud. One of my best buds. We got a fun episode. This one, we're going to do the history of U.S. motorcycle gangs. Okay, I like that. Yeah, so we, it's, uh, it's pretty good. We got to, we're going to start with the timeline of how they started, and then we're going to go into some of their main like crimes and stuff. 
Shouldn't be too long. Should be pretty fun. We we covered some of this in the White Supremacist episode, but whatever. We're going to just double up. Double did, dip. Did you have a guest for that one? Yeah, I had. It was a double episode. But I guess I, like, fucked up the formatting or something, so mm. the second episode, people, like, were yelling at me. But I don't got much else, guys. I'm just a guy who learned how to use a computer a year ago. What can you do? What can I do? All right, 1930s. The precursor to motorcycle games were motorcycle clubs, which were frequently established or approved by the American Motorcycle Association, the AMA. In fact, the more formal naming convention for motorcycle gangs is Outlaw Motorcycle Club, which is a, a fun formal name to have. You know, it's like my name is Steve Fury, but my formal name is Papa Big Dick. So either <laughs> use either, but make sure if we're in formal situations, you address me as PBD. 1932, while the most significant emergence of U.S. motorcycle gangs is associated with the men who returned from World War II and were seeking out camaraderie and excitement, the Outlaws were arguably the first motorcycle gang in the United States. Formed in 1935 in McCook, Illinois, the Outlaws were initially a motorcycle club. The group was relatively innocuous in their activities until the 1950s when they became more aggressive and began to engage in more illegal activities. Here's my question. What are illegal activities in the 50s? They're just like going, spilling people's milkshakes and... Showing women's ankles. Showing women's ankles. And it just feels like, you know, because like, it's kind of like uh, Greece. Like, no one in Greece was very intimidating. <laughs> like, I feel like I could beat up anyone in Greece or the outsiders. For sure. I. Uh, it's also funny how club and gang mean the same thing, but sound so different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like if, a, if you're a motorcycle club. Yeah. You're a lunch club or a lunch gang. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, man, what are those guys? Just tiny sandwiches and they beat the shit out of you. In court, you know, hear ye, hear you. The motorcycle gang formerly known as the Outlaws has been officially charged as follows. Tomfoolery, horseplay, buffoonery, shenanigans, and all, all over horsing around. A lot of horsing around. A lot of horsing around. No goodery. <laughs> That's what happens with these fellas. This was, what, the 30s? This was, we just 50s? got into the, th yeah, 35. 30s, so. okay. So, yeah, this is actually 35. I don't know why I put – oh, no. Fifth, this went about to the 50s-ish area. Um, thousands of men left traumatized by the war returned to the U.S. and discovered life was a bit boring and lonely in relationship to what they had experienced during their service. To combat that boredom and monotony and loneliness, many World War II veterans used their severance compensation to purchase motorcycles and party in bars across the country. Enhanced by the fact that many World War II veterans had been trained on riding motorcycles while abroad. Which is a lot cooler than what our military do now when they get out of service. Which is obviously gain 30 pounds and buy a Dodge Charger. So, shout out to our military. Or be homeless. Or be homeless. So, yeah. So, maybe we start giving homeless people motorcycles. <laughs> there we go. Put them in a little club. Put them in a little club. <laughs> and send them off. Hell like, yeah. you guys can tour anywhere but any big cities where any people are and please go away. What? So, in the in the World Wars, they were driving motorcycles? Yeah, back in the, the first ones were in, like, World War II and everything. They were flying around on little motorcycles. These are pretty fucking bare-bones motorcycles, though. They're, like, things that you look like you could make, you know? Yeah. It's like the Spirit Airlines of a motorcycle. <laughs> it's just, like, a metal seat. Thing gets hot as fuck. I've just never seen any, like, World War II pictures with motorcycles, I feel like. Okay. Maybe. Right. Let's check one right here. World War II motorcycle. Oh, those uh, are badass. Yeah, they looked pretty cool, but they definitely... Let's check this guy out real quick and try to describe... Oh, where are they going? Oh, this is, we have to you buy it. buy it on eBay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, okay, kind of yeah. cool looking, to be honest with you. Yeah. Looks like got a lot of Harley vibes. Satchels look good. A lot, man. Look at all the shit you had to wear. 
back there. For real, big old coat. Big old coat. It's like a pea coat and then pea coat pants. And then, uh, honestly, he looks pretty good. They didn't have bulletproof stuff, so they just wore like six Layers. coats to try to <laughs> stop the bullets. <laughs> you got to wear leather, and then the bullets don't go through leather. Love those goggles, too. Yeah, the goggles doesn't look like really they've updated the helmets <laughs> yeah, since the exact then. Same. They look exactly like very Gulf War kind of attire yeah. there. And the motorcycles just looks like a lot of metal, and I think it shook a lot, and it was really fucked up to drive. Probably really loud, too. Yeah. Probably not something you want in a, like a war situation. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, all right, guys, we're going to sneak in. You guys go left, I'll go right. <laughs> then your whole body's exposed. Yeah. It's like no protection. Yeah. You're protecting the motorcycle. Yeah, I'd be like, yo, you know what we should do with motorcycles? Add doors, a roof, and a front. <laughs> yeah, maybe a gun on top. Maybe a gun on top. Maybe throw another guy on there. Yeah. Like, listen, you just take your little chicken ass out there. So you quickly had a country filled with thrill-seeking veterans who were equipped with motorcycles, disposable income, and a pointed pursuit of a lifestyle that matched what they had experienced during the war, but ideally with significantly less life-threatening endeavors. The American Motorcycle Association, which had ex existed since 1924, quickly grew as these veterans and others sought out a brotherhood of motorcycle enthusiasts. It's also, you know, in the beginning you tell it wasn't a bad thing because they're like just trying to join like little associations. Yeah, they just want friends. Yeah, they're just like, hey, we just want to hang out at AAA and like meet some bros. <laughs> yeah. And then later it's like, let's fucking kill people and <laughs> yeah. do meth. As is often a witness today with people who return home from prison war or other types of externally imposed confinement, individuals can quickly begin to experience a loss of identity, companionship, or even a perverse sense of security that leaves them exceedingly vulnerable to offers to join a new collective. That makes a ton of sense, though, No, It's kind of like the same as I feel when I go home to Sacramento from L.A. I'm like eternally exposed confinement. I quickly begin to experience a loss of identity, companionship, and a perverse sense of security that leaves me exceedingly vulnerable to join a new collective, a.k.a. gay sex. They'll get you. They'll get you. They, they got nice, strong drinks, you know what I mean? 1947. It can be difficult to locate the exact moment in history when an informal group first emerges in society. However, July 4th, 1947 has withstood time as a watershed moment in the birth of motorcycle gangs in the U.S., the American Motorcyclist Association was sponsoring hill climbing events throughout Southern California, and a previously unheard group attended, the Pissed Off Bastards of Bloomington, California. That's their real name? That's their gang name, yeah. All right. That's fucking tight. Pissed Off Bastards? Hell that yeah. really started off. Imagine being like, yeah, we're the American Motorcycle Association. We're the Pissed Off Bastards <laughs> of Bloomington, California. We're here to climb a hill. <laughs> we want to climb some hills. We're here to fucking climb a hill. And we're angry. And we're angry. And we're from Bloomington. Uh, that's a dope fucking name, but holy shit. But isn't that the most in, like, 1940s, 1950s things you've ever heard of? There's not shit going on, so it's like, hey, should we all just have a <laughs> hill climbing party? Just event, we'll just invite everyone around, and we'll see who can climb this goddamn hill. Like it, on bikes, right? Or just yeah, on, on motorcycles, yeah. It's like, you know how lime, life, lame life has to be for me to be like, guess I'm going to watch people climb a fucking hill. So funny. It was on that weekend that approximately 4,000 motorcycles took over the small town of Hollister, California. And then they went over to Abercrombie and Fitch, California. <laughs> yeah. And lastly, took over American Eagle. Aeropostal, actually, they fought back because that's a hood rat ass fight. Yeah, that's a hood rat ass brand. Mm -hmm. um, and wreaked havoc, damaging local storefronts after official motorcycle association race outside of town. So, as a frame of reference, according to the U.S. Census, Hollister had only 3,881 residents in 1940. Therefore, the visiting motorcyclists more, more than outnumbered those who formerly 
had residents in the city. Wild. That's terrifying. All of them were pissed off bastards? No, just like the coolest one. The ones like they were like fucking people up. Gotcha. Yeah, that'd be uh, insane. Yeah, you're just chilling and a motorcycle gang takes over your town. But I feel like there's still kind of nice motorcycle gangs right then. Sure. But I've, I mean, like, when even if, like, ten motorcycles pull up, I get a little nervous. You know what yeah. I mean? 4,000 is... That's a, that's a scary... Especially if your town is 3,000 people. Yeah. So he's like, I can't hear you, Jen! There's goddamn motorcycles everywhere! I wonder when they started the leather jacket thing. Or is that That's this? a good... No, it isn't. That is a good question. God damn it, I'm gonna have to talk to my guy. <laughs> like, imagine if you're in Grand Rapids, drinking mayonnaise and eating butter. I don't know what you Midwestern people eat. And right. 50,000 Girl Scouts start, took over your town, throwing thin mints through grocery store windows, not helping old ladies walk across the street, and plugging all toilets with their green sash. Terrifying. Terrifying. The pissed off bitches. The pissed off bitches, yeah, of Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> yeah. While the incident was re- re- relatively tame in terms of future crimes and havoc that would be orchestrated by the pissed off bastards and other motorcycle gangs, such as the Booze Fighters. Okay. Market Street Commandos All right. and the Galloping Goose Motorcycle Club. Not as scary. Not as good. That guy really <laughs> failed on that one. <laughs> Pissed off bastards, booze fighters, and the Galloping Geese. geese. Yeah, I was like, uh, could we read? Nope, we're, we said Galloping Geese. <laughs> this is what we chose. And we're sticking with Galloping Geese. Such an awful name. <laughs> yeah, but they went with Market Street Commando. <laughs> I swear to God, my wife came up with this, and I cannot be she the She made guy. us t-shirts. <laughs> t-shirts. If you want to tell her, you can tell her. I'm not fucking telling her, <laughs> yeah. You know how mean she is? You know how mean she Yeah. The incident was significant because it caught the attention of people around the U.S. Matt, you are starting a motorcycle gang. What is your name? It's a hard one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's easy to beat galloping geese. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's got to be like a like a predatory animal. I like yeah. the animal names. I like animals good, too. I mean, there's not many animal names in these, so you might be pretty good. You know, like the raptors or raptors yeah. it can't be like a, a basketball team though. yeah no it's like yeah, we're, we're my, my team's the utah jazz <laughs> <laughs> we're the utah jazz motorcycle gang <laughs> cool patches um i'm gonna go with the chinese chickens because we eat Ooh. drumsticks and our brain starts ticking and we watch x-files with no lights on shamalazay's on and we feel like superman <laughs> very good is that the real lyric shamalazay's on i don't know that middle part <laughs> a lot of people don't but it, it sounds right it, it does sound right um, so you got to get a name. Think of something. We're gonna, cause we, we're gonna try to f- make a motorcycle gang later. We'd be the um, the hmm, the damn Ooh, the damn tootins. Ooh, damn tootins. That's pretty good. I would say that's in between little boot- old little old timey. Yeah, damn tootins. Yeah, that's kind of fun. You can maybe have like a guy with like a like a what's your patch looking like? You know, like maybe a big horn. Big horn. I like that one. Cool. This attention captured capturing was primarily due to an article that ran in Life magazine and had a picture, see below, I'll tell you guys, we'll describe them, of biker Eddie Davenport sitting on his bike surrounded by empty beer bottles. By the way, this picture is fucking amazing. This image, along with the story, helped establish the public image of bikers as hooligans in ne'er-do-wells. Look at this guy. Fucking tight. Eddie Davenport. Eddie D. Oh, hell yeah. Eddie D. It looks D. like a lot of people I know. Yeah, I mean, it's everyone on the east side. This is the east side open micer. <laughs> yeah, same clothes and everything. Same clothes, yeah. It is a big thing right now, like, people, like, wearing work clothes as, like, ironic. Yeah. Like, yeah, look at this. It says I'm a plumber. Isn't that funny? Like the, uh, what are the, the rompers or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Like, I got this from my dad. He had a real job. Little name patch on the front. Culture Raiders. Eddie Davenport's such a good name for Eddie a Dev, yeah. white biker like that. Look at all the beers. He really puts them down. Hell yeah. This is one of the coolest motherfuckers I've ever seen. He probably has. If we're going to describe what he looks like. 
He looks like a guy in the 50s or something. Yeah, you know what I mean, absolutely. He looks area appropriate. He's kind of got a beige. Actually, it's black and white. I don't really know. But his insignia on the back looks pretty cool. It's like the cool layer Raiders. And then it's just like a skull with some wings. And it says Dave. Which is great in case he forgets that or is hit by a car. And then he probably has 25 to 30 beer bottles. Yep, got his feet up on the handlebars. Yeah. Nope. Chilling. What a fun what a fun little trip he had. I like how that, that inspired people to do crime. It was just <laughs> some happy guy on a bike. <laughs> I mean, if you're just like watching people climb hills and you see one guy smiling on a motorcycle, <laughs> you're like, I'll go. Yeah, let's go. do it. Take anything. This is let's smash some windows. Let's smash some windows. Yeah. I mean, I'm down right now. <laughs> It's getting us inspired. Yeah. Um, the Hollister Riot had inspired the creation of the 1953 movie The Wild One that starred Marlon Brando. In the wake of the Hollister Riot, the American Motorcycle Association present famously declared that motorcycle gangs only account for 1% of all motorcyclists in the United States, which is why motorcycle gang members often wear the label of 1%ers. I thought that was its own gang, isn't it? No. Or it's it, just like motorcycles it in means general. It in a motorcycle gang. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is why you'll see the most prominent gangs wearing clothing emblazoned with the one percent patcher tattoo. That's fucking tight, and I never knew that. I just thought they were like bad milk. Hey guys, I'm here. I'm here trying to make jokes. I write these ahead of time. Let's go. <laughs> they aren't very good. In 1948 to the 60s, Otto Fridelli, a member of the pissed off bastards of Bloomington, left the group in 1948 and started a new club on March 7th, 1948. The Hell's Angels. Let's go. Yeah, I got a good feeling about this. You know, seems like. It's going to be a good, safe group that causes no problems. You know, wholesome, good fun. They're angels. They're angels. Also love that he stepped up the name. It's hard to be better than pissed off bastards of Bloomington, but Hell's Angels? Oh, yeah. That's fucking cool. Not as good as branding as the Chinese chickens <laughs> or the... What was yours? Damn Tootins. Damn Tootins. Damn Tootins is pretty good. They would expand both in membership and geog geographic location over the next 20 years developing such a cultural presence that Hunter S. Thompson profiles them in the early 60s, culminating in the publishing of Hell's Angels in 1966. Thompson, in a 1965 article in The Nation, that name sounds racist now for some reason, it does. Entitled, entitled The Motorcycle Gangs, offered they ride, rape, and raid like a marauding cavalry, and they boast that no police force can break up their criminal motorcycle fraternity. Pretty fucking cool. Yeah, badass. Yeah, pretty cool right there. Those last three words concisely capture so much of what has defined U.S. motorcycle gangs. Criminal behavior, a brotherhood with an unrelenting level of devotion, and a passion for motorcycles. As one could assume, it didn't take long before there was abundance of other motorcycle gangs that emerged as alternatives or challengers to the Hells Angels, like the Mongols, the Outlaws, the Pagans, the Warlocks, the, the No-Gooders. What was yours? Darn Tootins. Darn Tootins. I gotta write this shit down. Damn Tootins. The damn Tootins. We're hard. Yeah, we have, we're not darn. We have a, We had to upgrade. <laughs> we swear. Yeah, once we start, people started saying hell. We were like, oh, 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 oh okay. We're we can do it. All right. Yeah, okay. Should we try? There are a few other motorcycle gangs that blossom around the U.S. and the later the world. I'm a little mad they didn't ma mention the Chinese chickens. But Whatever. Disrespect. Disrespect. We have always been disrespect. Yeah. 1959, the Pagans, another of the gang that constitute the one percenters, were founded in 1959. Unlike the Angels, who have undertaken positive public campaigns in the Banditos that we'll soon discuss, who had an extensive website at one point. <laughs> they went digital. Pretty sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Banditos. Like, we, we've decided to go on the internet. Listen. What'd you guys do? We started with a website. We got a website. Um, we got some ads up on Craigslist. 
And um, we started the mosh basement. <laughs> the Pagans have always been the most secretive U.S. motorcycle gangs. They are prominently located in the mid-Atlantic. So the the gang with the website is the most secretive? No, the Banditos had the oh, website. the Banditos had the website. Okay. The Pagans are like these weird secretive guys that are kind of hard to find about. So the 60s, the Banditos start to take off. Frequently referred to as the Terror of Texas. Fuck it, alliteration yeah. always hits. <laughs> yep. Founded by Donald Chambers in 1966 in Houston due to what was described as boredom with existing motorcycle gangs. Okay. Love that, man. Yep. Imagine being bored with motorcycle gangs. It's like the first time someone might have ADHD. It's like, look, it's hard for me to write papers, but if I don't have Adderall, but I don't know if I needed Adderall to keep me interested in motorcycle gangs. Prof- you know, that's probably why they smoke meth, you know? They're just ADD guys, and they just need help paying attention to human trafficking. If you get bored with raping and raging, <laughs> what's next? Where do you go from there? Insane. Known for his love of violence that was only matched by his fondness of Windsor Canadian whiskey. Okay. Also, uh, uh, mm, okay. Is that good whiskey? Windsor Canadian? No, I don't think so. It's cheap, right? I think that's cheap. I think he's got a very plastic kind of bottle vibe. Yeah. As offered by his daughter, he is famous for the way he threw a punch, an approach that, if proven ineffective, would result in him pulling out a knife and escalating the violence. Always a fun guy to have at a party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves that guy. What's this guy's name? This was uh, Dave Chambers? Donald, Donald Chambers. Chambers. Okay. Chambers would ultimately be arrested in 1972 along with two other banditos and prosecuted for killing two drug dealers in El Paso, Texas. In what some consider, in what some consider to be the first instance of now common gang trope, Chambers and his accomplices made the two men dig their own graves Damn. before shooting them. That's wild. Top four worst ways to die. What are the other three? Burned alive. <sighs> yeah, I mean, my thing about digging your own grave is why not just say no? When they're gonna kill you anyways, or do you hope that they don't kill you? Yeah, they're gonna be like, this guy's got a fucking work ethic. <laughs> yeah, we need him for the other need, graves. Yeah, yeah. It should be like whoever <laughs> digs their grave faster gets yeah. to live. Yeah, or at least tell them that, and then yeah, then you kill them. Yeah. Obviously, we're in the fucking top three other ways to die: burning for sure, drowning, drowning. I always feel like drowning in like having a like a thing attached to your ankle that's pulling you down. Oh yeah, would be fucking terrible. And your mom kills you. I don't know. Yeah. Your mom suffocates you. Your mom suffocates you. Yeah, there you go. That would be pretty bad. (laughs) Unlike the initial wave of U.S. motorcycle gangs that were populated by World War II veterans, the Banditos were largely filled with Vietnam veterans. For some reason, feels a little dirtier. Mm -hmm. While the Hells Angels were notorious for being almost entirely white, the Banditos welcomed Hispanics and even had a small number of black members throughout the U.S. Good for them. Good for them. Way to be progressive. Yeah, probably had an HR department. (laughs) Yeah. Like, hey, our website's telling us that we need more Mexicans and blacks. (laughs) Affirmative action. Affirmative action, fellas. We can get a grant from, uh, I don't know, who's what time is this, 70s? The most inclusive motorcycle gang has been the Mongols, which is primarily composed of Latino members. Okay. I never liked that name. You know, it's like, what's your name? Uh, The Down Syndromers. (laughs) Yeah. Is Mongol? I think that's a terrible thing to call handicapped people, right? Mongol. Mongol. That's like um, like caveman or whatever kind of thing? Yeah. Neanderthal? Neanderthal, something like that. Or is it just someone from Mongolia? I don't know. I, don't th- I think someone from Mongolia, don't you call them Thai or... Mongolian? Or, yeah. Mongolian seems... It just, just seems... I don't know what I could say anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm going to let that one go. 
The Bandidos members often carry a courtesy card. I love this part. To distribute to non-members. That is the following embossed in red at the top of the card. We are the people our parents warned us about. All right. And this is on the rest of the card. Bandito by profession, biker by trade, lover by choice. Yep. You have just had the honor of meeting insert member's name. Badass. Bad. I mean, from websites to now. This is like, this is the, I feel like they got something from a, a like an open micer comedian who's like, listen, the first thing you need to do, website. <laughs> Second thing, headshot. Third, business card. Business card. I gotta have a I business card. I wonder if they got them from vistaprint.com. Yep. That's where I got mine. That's where I got mine. Still got 50,000 if anyone <laughs> needs them. Yep. They have no reason to live anymore. <laughs> they are completely useless, and I have millions. What's on your gang calling card? Hmm. The damn two ends. I don't know. I I I'd probably just take after the banditos. Yeah. I try. I probably try to join them. To be honest, they sound like yeah. the best gang. Yeah. <laughs> sound fun as hell. Yeah. They were like diverse. They yeah. they went digital. Yeah. Probably got a Twitter. Mine's lover are, by choice. It lover says. by choice. Yeah, that yeah, one is. I'm fun. all about that. Yeah. That's all mine says. Just lover, lover by, by choice. choice. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not choosing it, so you better be on the right day. <laughs> Mine's like, are you a fan of the Canadian rock group Bare Naked Ladies and have an affection for methamphetamines? Well, do I have a group for you? You just had the honor of meeting Steve Fury. Let's go. Lest one think that they are softening their activities over the years, banditos have been arrested over the past decade for everything from drug dealing, kidnapping, to trafficking, stolen vehicles, to threatening threatening witnesses. In March of 2006, banditos slayed a 44-year-old motorcyclist in Austin, Texas, Anthony Benish, Anthony had been trying to start an Austin chapter of the Hells Angels and was ultimately shot in the head by a bandito sniper Jesus. while leaving a North Austin restaurant with his girlfriend and two children. Just for trying to start Hells Angels? Yeah. Damn. But a sniper, too. That's so... Uh, I'm always pro-sniper. I don't know why people don't employ more snipers. You know, because it seems like it would be like... Like, if I in my gang, we're going to have 10 snipers, and then whenever we do everything, it's just like at the same time, 10 people in your organization get shot at the same time. You have nothing to do. Yeah, How could you catch me? I feel like you got to win that way. Yeah. Snipers are And then they just pack up and walk away. Yeah. And then they're doing Yeah. They're just like, well, a lot of people walking around with uh, uh, guitar cases. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who knew these? A lot of musicians here a in Austin. Of, a lot of musician banditos. <laughs> yeah. Emblematic of their disregard for law enforcement, the banditos even had their own website in the 2000s. The website offered visitors everything from mem- memorials to fallen leaders and members to a store where apparel, accessories, home goods, and thong panties emblazoned with support your local banditos could be purchased. Yeah. Their marketing team is insane. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, imagine you're about to move in with your girl and, and you find a support your local <laughs> banditos thong. Red flag much? Maybe. Maybe. <sighs> Two other motorcycle gangs emerged in the latter half of two the 20th century and quickly earned infamy. The Mongols were founded in 1969 in Montebello, California. The Mongols are recognized as enjoying some of the most success in the area of international growth and recruitment, as reflected in their development of chapters throughout Europe, Central America, and Southeast Asia. That's fun. Is that what the the ones in uh, Sons of Anarchy is called? Yeah, I mean, this. I think these guys are the Mongols. Based on that? Yeah. Are they, these all started in California, too, huh? A lot of them started in California. Hell's yeah, Angels yeah. did. Yeah, we got a lot of fun stuff out here. <laughs> Surprising amount of racists. They always think, you know, it's like you go up to Northern California or real cutty Southern California, you got a lot of weirdos. This is a great name. The Sons of Silence was founded in Colorado in 1966. The group has benefited from alliances with the Hell's Angels and the Outlaws. 
The gang is perhaps most known for the appropriation of the Anheuser-Busch logo, superimposing an American Eagle over the letter of the A. They don't even have an A in their name. Why would they do an A? Yeah, Sons of Silence? America or some shit? Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's a cool logo. Looks like the American Comedy Company. <laughs> it does look like ACC. <laughs> they probably pay better than ACC. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> the 70s. Due to a significant crackdown of motorcycle gangs during the 60s, and especially the late 60s, with the events at the Altamont and the rise of newsworthy violence from the banditos, U.S. motorcycle gangs experienced a withdrawal from high-profile acts of violence. Instead, a new generation of gang leaders forced into leadership roles due to the death and or incarceration of previous leaders chose to pursue more profitable pursuits that would attract less attention and generate more income, a la drug trafficking criminal rackets such as providing protection or mo- moving money for an organized crime outfit. Matt, how does your gang make money? I think we do a lot of uh, outdoor theater shows. <laughs> Shakespeare um, in the park. Yeah, we pass around a hat, ask for tips. We're not really into crime and the damn tootins. I don't want to go to jail. No. This Maybe the other guys if they want to do it. But Yeah, We're at the top, from the top down, we are hands off. Hands off. Hands off, no bad stuff. What am I going to do? I'd probably do drug trafficking. Honestly, that seems... It seems the easiest, right? Mm-hmm. I just wouldn't... W- I would make everybody not dress like a biker. You know? Instead... I mean, I guess, like, the cool thing is, like, putting your, like, dick in cops' faces by p- wearing all this shit on your thing. Yeah. But it's like, what if I just, like... It looked like the movie Wild Hogs. You know, it's just, <laughs> like, 12, 55-year-old dudes <laughs> who you never expect or pushing human trafficking yeah just riding around the mountains with smiles on their face smiles on their face not doing anything bad little joint life they've got a human head in their trunk (laughs) filled with cocaine it's a good move that's smart yep chinese chickens too it sounds like a fun thing you know it's like oh are these guys just an old group no we're coming 2000 to present as of 2019 the doj estimates members at the following levels so this is brand new hell's angels have about 2000 to 2500 the Mongols of about 1,500, the Outlaws of 2,000, the Banditos are 2,500 to 5,000, and the Vagos, an often overlooked motorcycle game based primarily in the Southwest, is estimated to have one of the largest contemporary memberships of approximately 4,000 members. Wow. I oh. assumed Hells Angels had way more than that. I did too. I thought 2,000. I think they just got the best branding. Yeah, for sure they do. That's yeah. the only one I've ever heard of. Yeah. I think I heard of them when I was like eight years old. I was already scared of the Hells yeah. Angels. <laughs> I was. I actually played a Hell's Angels thing one time. Were? Yeah, it was at like an outdoor event in Vacaville, and there were a lot of guys with Hell's Angels thing. It wasn't. Wow. It was like, but it looked like it was like a family picnic because I think the Hell's Angels with like their branding, they actually like reach out to a lot. They like do toy drives and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, they like to help the community. Yeah, which is so funny. Yeah, how big are your gangs? How big is our gangs? Ooh, I don't know. Not a lot of. Uh, motorcyclists interested in theater so <laughs> we're actively recruiting <laughs> we're open <laughs> there's about five of us right now <laughs> we need six for a full troop <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go mine's at about 100 you know okay we've got some about 75 like everyday members and we just kind of you know where what city am i based out of like somewhere in montana you know like we can just kind of do our own thing chinese chickens chinese chickens of montana of montana do you let uh the guys wives ride around on the back yeah. Is it, is it just boys? No, I think the girls cry on the back. Isn't that called bitches or whatever? Or uh, wives or some shit like that? I don't remember. 
Many have noted, most especially Dr. James Quinn, former University of Texas professor, one of the preeminent experts on motorcycle gangs, that motorcycle gangs in the U.S. have generally shrunk in recent decades due to the fact that people are just aging out. The guys are getting old. While they have grown during the same time in Central America, South Africa, or South America, and Northern Europe, membership levels for U.S. gangs have estimated to have decreased due to individuals who have historically joined choosing to join other kinds of fringe groups. It's also a function of these gangs have poor membership strategies. Historically forbidding young people from joining, it was not until the 90s that most of the major motorcycle gangs began to allow members to recruit younger people and bring children to more <laughs> events. Yeah, that seems like a good way to get rid of your gang is yeah. to not let new people join. <laughs> and I've always said, why aren't there more children in motorcycle gangs? You need more kids. I guess you do have to kind of be a little bit older to, like, ride a motorcycle you know whereas like if you're in a gang you can be 16 someone can just give you a gun and you're like go run out there but then they're like here's a gun and also here's two wheels that you don't know how to drive learn how to ride this <laughs> learn how to drive this they got training wheels though yeah you just get that little side cart that's your big initiation was they take the training wheels off <laughs> yeah they take the, take the side cart off that little thing <laughs> yeah so here you go buddy you ready <laughs> all right he's got it congratulations got it. you're a hell's angel you're a hell's angels that's all you need Intense screening procedures compared to most traditional street gangs. Unlike street gangs that thrive based on recruiting young people and often have geographic locations as the only requirement for initial membership, motorcycle gangs would frequently require prospective members to commit or take part in a significant criminal act like drug trafficking, violent acts, or robberies. Do you remember the um, the myth where like if you flash your lights to someone with their lights off on the highway, it's yeah. a gang initiation, they come and kill you? Yeah, I do remember that. That'd be a terrible way to die. <laughs> yeah. It also is like makes people not be courteous on the yeah. highway because you're like, that's probably a gang member trying to trick someone into killing them. Yeah. I mean, it is a good way to be like, how should we kill someone who's like has a relative respect for other human beings? <laughs> yeah, Just a nice person. <laughs> What's who could we go after? I got an idea. Let's get. OK, so I like how they're, they're you know, they have intense you know, background. So like, hey, we're going to need your social, mother's maiden name, credit card information. Thank you. Just stay right there. We'll go to the back. And he's gone. He just left with everything. Matt, what's your screening techniques for your gang? Ooh. Um, background check for sure. I need uh, social and mother's maiden name just in case. Yeah. And then um, some sort of audition. Maybe maybe you got to drive over a ramp or something. Through oh, a flaming yeah. circle. Do yeah, a trick. Like that too. yeah, yeah. That's cool. Let's get the TikTok numbers up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got to start TikToks. That's what we got to do. That's, uh, I'm one, sure the banditos have already done it. Yeah, the banditos probably got a sick ass. Mine, I'm going to need to talk to your mama, your first ex girlfriend, and your last ex girlfriend because I need to see some growth, you know? So apparently you never call your mom and you don't eat pussy. Not the Chinese chicken way, brother. That's not how we do things here. Not how we do things. That's smart. We love our mamas. We eat pussy. That's about it. That's all we've thought so far. And we love the Canadian rock group, <laughs> Bare Naked <laughs> Ladies. So either get with the program or go to the Banditos. You can find their website at www.ilovethebanditos.com slash merch slash significant U.S. motorcycle gang events. The Altamont Festival Massacre, December 4th, 1969, Ultimate Sp Altamont Speedway, Alameda, California, just down here. The free concert was intended to be the West Coast equivalent of Woodstock. This was the one that had the Stones, all these guys. The organizers of this largely improvised event had not secured formal security. Therefore, they hired several dozen Hells Angels members to provide security in exchange for $500 worth of beer. So funny. Adjusted for inflation corresponds about 3500 in U.S. dollars. All right. And then uh, the, the, the 
Hell's Angels just kind of went buck wild, beat the shit out of people, kind of killed the guy. How would you get paid? How how how's your game getting paid? Um, food. We could do food. food we could like, do uh, or oh. just a free concert, you know. Yeah, or just we'll here do security. For the love. But we're Can we open around. for you? <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. <laughs> we get to open the concert, and you know, if you ever have another one, you need someone to open. I do. I've damn tunes. Want to meet and greet too? Yeah, meet and greet with the bands. Yeah, and we could sell our own merch. Yep. Large plaid jackets. <laughs> yep. I'm going. I'm going crypto. We're going into crypto. We're Smart. doing Ethereum. Uh, actually, terrible day for crypto again. The banditos rose in national prominence in the late 70s for their brutalism, accused of killing an assistant U.S. attorney in San Antonio in 1978, and accused of orchestrating the 1979 assassination of a U.S. district judge. This is a really great one and kind of one of the best information on this podcast. Interestingly enough, the banditos would ultimately be exonerated for this killing. The judge's killer was Charles Harrelson a hitman hired by the Changra's crime family in El Paso, Texas. Charles Harrelson was a somewhat infamous hitman in the area and also the father of Woody Harrelson. Whoa. That's wild. Yeah, why haven't I heard about that more, right? For real. That's pretty fucking cool. That's insane. So he's, he wasn't a member of the Banditos? No. Or he, he said he wasn't? He wasn't. He was just a hitman okay. in fucking Texas. Badass. Yeah. How, yeah, how do you not brag about that more if you're Woody? Why is that not a movie? For real. Play your dad. Play your dad. Play your fucking dad, Woody. It would be sick. I would love to watch that movie. Yeah. They attracted enough attention to serve as a topic for a young Geraldo Rivera story on ABC's 2020. Personally, for us, it's Katie Kirk or nothing. Yeah. Fuck Geraldo. Fuck Geraldo, you fucking bum. <laughs> the Milpera Massacre. September 2nd, 1984. Outside Sydney, Australia. Ooh. Fire and battle between a f- group of former Comancheros who had broken away to create the first Bandidos chapter in Australia. Seven people were killed and 28 were injured. Many cite this as the catalyst for significant revisions in gun laws in Australia, specifically New South Wales. So that's what it takes. That's what to it get takes. gun laws. Not in America, <laughs> but apparently other places they learn from Seven massacres. people were killed. Seven weeks. It's always the banditos, man. Yeah, they're come up a lot, you yeah, know. They're the ones. That's who I would join. I think I would go to the banditos. I kind of like a little more diverse kind of stuff. Yeah. Hang but with everybody. Hang with everybody. Yeah, let's get all the freaks. This one's pretty good. The River Run Riot. April 27, 2002, in Harris Laughlin. I've been there. That's a casino? Yeah, it's a it's casino. There's It's like a desert, but there's a river, and it's oh, nice. pretty shitty. All right. Laughlin, Nevada, southeast of Las Vegas. The Hells Angels and the Mongols members started a fight at a Harris casino over territory issues, with left three outlaw members dead and 11 others injured from stab wounds, gunshot wounds, and broken bones from attacks with wrenches and hammers. <laughs> Jesus. Love that. What? Do, what okay, you get, you're, you're fighting people. What is your guy's... Weapons of choice. Axes. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, or like hatchets, little ones. Little hatchets, yeah. So you can swing them around and stuff on your finger, mm-hmm. do cool tricks like the Ninja Turtles and stuff. Yeah, and then you could you know, you could also start like axe throwing bars. Oh, yeah. Maybe that was you guys. Yeah. You know, coming through the back end, start an axe throwing. They see who's good, then you bring them in. Yeah, we bring them to a little secret back room. Yeah, but like, do you like theater, <laughs> methamphetamines, and hatchets? Because you got something, kid. You, you got, you're in luck. <laughs> yeah. Wait till you meet us. The Hells Angels knowingly arrived at the casino and known Mongol base with the knowledge that they were going to get wet, which is a slang term for spilling the blood of others. All right. That's what, badass. What's your slang term? For killing someone? Mm-hmm. Um, damn. Um, Mine's dip them in sauce or put a little mustard on it. Okay, I like both of those. Both food-related. Yeah. All right. We'll go... Um, s- we'll go... Sp- we're going to spend them on a rainy day. 
Oh, that's pretty fun. Just confuse the cops. Yeah, spend them on her. What are they buying? Crypto? Nope. More dresses for their performances? <laughs> Opening for <laughs> the Goo Goo Dolls? Nope. Listen. Wrong again. We got we got a big performance coming up. We got a big performance. What we need to do? Traffic drugs, smoke meth, buy some dresses. <laughs> buy some dresses. And we have to rehearse. And we have to rehearse. The Sheldon Massacre, April 8th, 2006. April 8th, 2006. Sheldon, Ontario, Canada. Banditos don't just focus on external targets. They're also diligent about keeping their ranks as clean as possible. This was reflected when Canadian authorities found eight Banditos members stuffed in abandoned cars in a rural part of Ontario. Damn. As when it was initially suspected by local authorities and later confirmed by Banditos leaders, these killings were part of an effort to both showcase their brutal pedigree and eradicate any internal dissent. These guys are hard. Yeah. I wonder what kind of car, too. It's like, yo, don't put me in. At least make it American-made. <laughs> yeah. Have some respect. Have some respect. If I go into goddamn, if I have to spend my life in a Civic, I'll kill myself. Yeah, fucking Fiat. Oh, man. Wow. Just a... Just a limb in every part of it because you can't <laughs> even fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> he killed me and put me in a Mini Cooper? Yeah. Jesus. It's valuable to juxtapose this to the Hells Angels who have at times engaged in what can only be described as promotional activities to generate positive public perception, such as toy runs, collecting money for various charitable pursuits, or having comedy shows starring Stephen Fury. I wasn't starring. I probably did seven minutes open it. Yeah. So, Matt, you got people ratting on you. How are you going to kill them? Um... I like the abandoned cars thing because you got they got to be found, right? Yeah, Every, everyone has to know that you yeah. killed them. Yeah, that's a large part of it. Interesting. I mean, what do what do cartels do? They like hang people from the. Yep, they hang people, streets. chop their heads off, and yeah. stuff like that. This, Something like that, maybe. Okay, this is my favorite one that I've seen people do. So you kind of get someone and you put a bunch of uh, tires on. And you put them in the middle, and you jam them in there, and then you light the tires on fire. Jesus. And then you roll them down the hill into town. Okay. All right. We're doing that. Are are they dead, or you burn them alive? you burn them alive. All right. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. (laughs) The Waco shootout. Not the Waco you're thinking of. May 17, 2015. Recent. Yeah, yeah. Some of these get pretty recent. What began as a meeting between members of various motorcycle gangs and clubs to discuss political rights for motorcyclists erupted into violence when an altercation occurred between members of the Bedidos and Cossacks. Cossacks. I don't don't, don't want that one. I don't like that name. It's an awful name. Who would have thought of it? Who would have thought this could have not worked out? (laughs) Not with the Cossacks and the Bandidos. Waco police officers, along with Texas State troopers, were monitoring the event from a distance. This included police snipers strategically positioned to observe the meeting. Why don't bro- don't tell the cops you're having a meeting? I know I don't know how they find out. It's like bad strategy. Also, maybe start checking the rooftops while <laughs> yeah. you're having your meeting. Like we'll have one rooftop guy. Make sure no snipers. It's like well, there's a lot of guys in black laying down on different rooftops in this area with police helmets on. Don't worry about it. That's just that's just the Waco way. <laughs> when the altercation between rival gangs members. It escalated to the point where gunfire was exchanged, the police officers and state troopers quickly opened fire. In the end, nine bikers were killed, mostly by law enforcement, and 20 were injured. No law enforcement or civilians were injured. Wow. Controversy quickly engulfed the aftermath of the shootout because of a five-year prosecutorial fiasco that unfolded. 177 bikers were arrested at the scene, and a grand jury indicted 150 of them on organized crime charges. How do you arrest 177 people? I don't know. On man. motorcycles. <laughs> Drive away. <laughs> yeah, that's There's true. no way they have that many cops, right? Yeah. 200 just, cops? Just go in different directions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem that hard. And this is, they see, this is one of the reasons why you don't want to be wearing all that motorcycle, like, 
gang stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah. Like, if he was, like, just on, like, one of those cushy Honda ones. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I just happen to be on a motorcycle. Yeah, I'm one of the wild hogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's me. Tim Allen. Tim Allen. You know, come on, we're chill like that. <laughs> um, the district attorney, Abel Renya, is what was ultimately described as a prosecutorial overreach arranged for the Justice of Peace to set a $1 million bond for each defendant. Damn. So you're probably not getting out. Yeah, you got to pick and choose. But after four years and with the arrival of a new district attorney, Barry Johnson, all charges were dropped against the defendants. Wild. And in the end, not a single conviction occurred. Wild. Wow. 177 people. 170. Didn't even get one guy. Not very good. Randoms. Information. Established history of motorcycle gangs have a direct and indirect links to white supremacist groups. And while they frequently employ Nazi iconography, e.g., the SS, dual lightning bolts, and swastikas, the Anti-Defamation League has acknowledged that some of this is symbolic for shock value and to raise the bar for aspiring members to show their level of commitment to the gang. So I guess that's why they've got to wear the uh, stuff to show that you don't give a fuck and you're mm -hmm. just proud. Yeah. That, that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want you to show that you're proud of this so you're going to wear a hatchet, a bloody shirt, and scream, please suck. Known for brutal and illegal behavior, the Hells Angels have repeatedly showcased their litigious side by suing various companies for infringing on their various trademarks. That's hilarious. 2002, they soyed Toys R Us and Yomega Yo-Yo Manufacturer for infringing on their Deathhead trademark. There it is. That's what it is. They Just a skull with yeah. hair? Yeah, it's a skull right. with like a wing on the back. Yeah. But I mean, it's a little intense for a yo-yo. Yeah, that's for sure. Slow down, <laughs> yo-yos. I don't think we need to start bringing the devil into it yet. If you're a toy company stealing from Hell's Angels, <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, find a nicer thing to steal from. <laughs> you ever go through a yo-yo phase? Oh, yeah. I had a nice swastika yo-yo. <laughs> um, no, I tried. I never could get it. Uh, that's funny. I could go up and down, and that's about it. Yeah, and then, like, the the only end game is now your guy's good at yo-yoing, which really isn't <laughs> a, a plus for anybody. Yeah. 2010, they sued Alexander McQueen, the fashion leader, for using their death head again. Okay. 2006, they sued Walt Disney for infringement in the film Wild Hogs. Oh, look at that. Hell yeah, Wild Hogs, baby. For what? Just riding motorcycles? White dudes riding motorcycles? I think maybe they probably had, like, another gang that was trying to follow them or something. Do you think they won? Doesn't like Disney sues everybody. Well, they got sued by Disney. Do I think they won? Uh, no. It seems like a lot of the time they're like, they just want to be acknowledged that they exist ra uh, rather like than they want like relevancy thing. Yeah. So and then they in 1992 they sued Marvel Comics for publishing a comic book with a character named Hell's Angel. Wow. I guess that kind of works. The Benditos Initiation Ritual. Once a prospective member secured his membership, he received the Bandito's vest. He then had to remove the vest and place it on the ground for all members to urinate, vomit, or defecate on. Okay. The cleansing ritual was to ride until the vest dried and to never clean it for the remover of the sacraments of his brothers. Who? Uh, I mean, who comes up with this? Whose idea is it to be like, let's all sh let's all shit on the vests we're gonna wear? Yeah, it's probably the weird guy in the group. I like the banditos until now. Yeah, this I like is kind of. That one was weird. And I bet you, like, the original guys were like, but, but we don't have to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, but since we're in charge. It's from here now. But we get to shit on yours. But, like, yeah, we can poop <laughs> yeah. and vomit. And we get to clean ours when it yeah. gets dirty. Yeah, but you can't. <laughs> You're not allowed to clean yours. It shows that you love us. Yeah. What? What is your initiation ritual? Um, We do that thing where you all stand in a circle and jack off on a <laughs> cracker. The limb biscuit? Yeah. Yes. Oh, cool. Okay, cool. But I don't have to do it. But everyone else yeah. has to do it. Yeah. But I can film you and sell it to the Japanese yeah. for some extra cash. Mine? 
we uh you got to do a little streak. All right. Go streaking. Where? Supermarkets. Okay. Multiple in the night. Okay. I want like the police to know that there's a man streaking in every Safeway across the city. They have to guess which one's going to get hit next. Yeah. All right. And then if you can get through it, you're back, and we'll give you a pair of pants that I have worn and defecated <laughs> in. <laughs> so, got to put them on. Hope you like it. How Shaq. many? How many stores you got to streak through? I want ten. Jesus. Okay. Like, like I want people to remember. Are there ten Safeways within driving distance of each other? Well, you're on a motorcycle, so rules of Grand Theft Auto, you can get pretty quick to places. Fast travel? Fast travel. You right. fast travel, yeah. Smart. Yeah. <laughs> International motorcycle gangs. Motorcycle gangs are not confined to the U.S. 1994-1997, the Nordic Bike War. Scandinavia and Finland. Sounds terrifying. Battle between the Banditos and Hells Angels. These guys are everywhere. Yeah. At least 12 died and over 100 were injured during this three-year war between the two most prominent motorcycle gangs on the planet. The level of firepower was noteworthy, with the Hells Angels using military-grade weapons. At one point, they used a grenade launcher to attack an enemy leader being held in a jail in Finland. Like that. Yeah, which was never a sentence I thought I would say. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. 1994 to 2002, Quebec Biker War, the Banditos versus the Hells Angels. Approximately 150 people died during a near eight-year battle between the two motorcycle gangs. That's like almost one, uh, one, one and a half a month. As especially tragic casualty of this gang filling, what killing was uh, an 11-year-old boy killed due to shrapnel from one of the more 80 bombs that bikers had hidden throughout the province. Crazy. Now I mean I understand why Hells Angels only has 2,000 members because every war they get in, they 200 people die. <laughs> They arrest 200 at a time, 150 <laughs> people die. It's like, yeah, you're not going to have good numbers. Cut it down. Stop. And you're not letting new people in. Yeah, and you're pooping on vests. Like, let's, <laughs> yeah. what do you want? Let's fix some of this. Yeah, let me, be, I'm going to rebrand you guys pretty quick. Yeah, bring somebody in. In 2010, in what many consider to be the first Muslim clan-based crime segment, a German chapter of the Mongols was formed in Bremen, Germany, and run by Lebanese immigrants. That's that, all I got on that. It's like up. one from each continent. Yeah. Muslim-based... German, German chapter of the Mongols. The Mongols with Lebanese people. By Lebanese. All right. Well, at least they're diversifying. Yeah, though. hell yeah. But often the case with organized crime groups, motorcycle gangs tend to be geographically concentrated. The Hells Angels are in California. The Highwaymen, Detroit. There okay. you go, buddy. Banditos, Texas. Outlaws, the Southeast. The Pagans, the Mid-Atlantic. The Warlocks, Florida. The Vagos, the Southwest. And the Sons of Silence in the Midwest and the South. Notorious culture for misogyny and racism. Hell's Angels and Outlaws restrict members to white men, and effectively all 1% gangs have forbidden w membership by women. Wow, I didn't know that. I think we let women in. Yeah, for sure. Mine's only women. Yeah, hot. Me, me and mostly hot women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, I like that. That's a way better gang. Yeah. Man. And then, because then they could trick people, and I know a lot of sicko, sicko women. Yeah, do some dirty things. Do some dirty things. Motorcycle gang mottos and slogans, the banditos. We are the people our parents warned us about. Pretty good. Hell's Angels. When we do it right, nobody remembers. When we do it wrong, nobody forgets. Hmm. Pretty okay. good. Okay. The Mongols. Respect few, fear none. Okay. Like that. Outlaws. God forgives. Outlaws don't. Damn. And adios. Angels die in outlaw states. Okay. Pagans. Live and die. But weak. Sucks. <laughs> Could have gone. Sons of silence until death separates us. This guy just did his vows. Damn. Chinese chickens, we go, uh...
I don't know. What's a good What's a good saying? Mine is um, "Come hungry, leave happy." <laughs> <laughs> the damn tunes. The damn tunes. Mainly women. A lot of <laughs> lot of uh, performances. Yeah. Um, we like to have fun. We're a fun gang. Yeah. And we do toy drives. And a lot of toy drives, but it's for ourselves because we want some toys. Yeah. And fuck the Hell's Angels. And fuck the Hell's Angels. Can you too. actually edit that out? I don't want to say that. <laughs> They're gonna get us. <laughs> so the my Chinese chickens. Um, can I get double orange chicken? That's our sign. That's our thing. Can I get double orange chicken? Can I get double orange chicken? All right, Matt. Thank That's you very much. Said. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, buddy. That was great. Fun. I learned a lot. Learned a lot about some sickos. Could have gone a little more in depth in some stuff. I'm gonna try. And this is one of our new uh, researchers. He did a good job. Little in depth. I just. We really want to focus on like niche information, which I think I'm going to tell them to do next time. But thank you for coming on, buddy. Of course. That was the history of motorcycle gangs. What's some places they can check you out? I already do like a beginning thing, but give them anyway. Um, Instagram, Matt Daddy Lockwood. And your podcast and my with podcast, good buddy Morgan. The Big Humble. The Big Humble. Available check, everywhere. Check it out. Very fun. See you guys next time. <laughs>